Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Friday, September 13th, 2023. The AFP Report is a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. Today, I'm joined once again by Jose Nino, an independent journalist and contributor to American Free Press. All right, Jose Nino, welcome back to the program, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great, John. Thank you for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me. You are an independent journalist and the host of the El Nino Speaks podcast program. I know you just released a podcast the other day that I I just got downloaded to my phone. So I look forward to listening to that. And you also maintain the Jose Nino Unfiltered Substack page. Um, I'll have links over to your Substack page when I post this podcast program for people to check out. And you are also a regular contributor to Big League Politics, which is like an alternative, you know, sort of news source. And as of recently, you are a new contributor to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. And it is so great to have you on board. You're a great writer and a very dedicated journalist, and you really have a good understanding of what's going on not only in America, but really around the world. So I think uh, I think you're a great asset to the newspaper. So I wanted to start off by saying that, um, and I also want to encourage our listeners to go out and pick up a, a subscription to the newspaper if you do not have one already. American Free Press is a bi-weekly national print and digital newspaper and really, it's one of the last remaining America first, independent, dissident newspaper out there, unafraid to tackle the most controversial issues facing America and the wider world. We've got a number of great contributors like Jose, like James Edwards, like Don Jeffries, Phil Giraldi, Mark Anderson, Paul Craig Roberts, Ron Paul, and many, many others. So check out AmericanFreePress.net for all of those details. And as I mentioned, consider picking up a subscription if you are not already subscribing. So, Jose, we just wrapped up, as you know, the latest issue of the newspaper, and that's issue 41 and 42, which features extensive coverage of the chaos and conflicting narratives, very dubious narratives, I should add, coming out of the Middle East, coming out of Israel. And what we're seeing is this like sort of worldwide dissemination of atrocity propaganda. There's this major atrocity propaganda campaign being waged by Israel and, of course, her network of influential backers and supporters on social media and, of course, the mainstream mass media and, of course, throughout the entire political establishment. And, of course, this is all a result of this very sort of bizarre attack um, purportedly carried out by Hamas, mainly, um, against Israel. This attack was said to have really been launched out of the Gaza Strip uh, just this past Saturday. I believe it would have been yeah, Saturday, October 7th. And there's been a lot of very bizarre stories coming out, coming out of Israel, coming out of Gaza coming out of some of these um, kibbutzes and small settlements in, in, in and around Gaza. We're hearing tales of massacres and, and brutal rapes and even beheading of children, um, all of which is extremely 
dubious in my mind, and none of it is actually verified. Um, and yet we're seeing these sorts of tales being amplified and run with by political leaders, by the mainstream mass media, by major influencers on social media. And we're also seeing a very, I would argue, sophisticated campaign debunking these claims in real time, which is quite something to, to witness. Keith Woods, an Irish nationalist and activist and political commentator, has played a, a leading role in sort of systematically debunking a lot of these claims coming out of Israel and being promoted blindly, basically, by mass media outlets and by government officials. Um, so I'm curious. We, you know, obviously the the front page article um, in this current issue, issue 41 and 42, um, is titled "The Fog of War: Facts Conflict with Atrocity Propaganda Peddled by Israel," raising a number of questions about the overall narrative of this conflict, its origins, how Israel was just all of a sudden surprised by this alleged attack by Hamas, how Hamas was able to somehow obtain all of these weapons and actually launch this attack when Israel is known to be one of the most sophisticated, you know, have one of the most sophisticated intelligence operations in the world, not to mention the total backing, both financial and diplomatic of the United States government. So I'm curious, what do you make of this situation? Give me your take just to kind of get started. Well, I see it as just like the latest round of tensions between the Israelis and Palestinians, which I, I believe is like an exterminationist conflict on both sides. This is a conflict of identity, ultimately, because on one hand, you have um, Israeli nationalists, like every party in Israel is nationalist to some degree irrespective of their ideological differences that see like it see this land as theirs and like the Palestinians have no right to it and they will do whatever it takes to expel them and then Palestinians on their end view it as their land that is being occupied by the Israelis unjustifiably occupied by the Israelis so they will do what it takes to push them out but I think that there's also some internal intrigue here because there's a good point that how is it that Israel, which is like such a police state essentially and has some of the best intelligence services in the Mossad, how was it possible for God, uh, the Hamas to launch launch such attacks? And I think, um, I think there may be some interesting things brewing within the Israeli deep state, if you will, because prior to this conflict, Israel was going through some unprecedented internal turmoil. There were talks about civil war with the Benjamin Netanyahu and his far-right-wing coalition government trying to implement a series of judicial reforms <clears throat> that irked a lot of the Israeli like secular elites, because you have to remember that what Israel is going through right now is the internal struggle, its internal political struggle, is between the secular Ashkenazi liberal establishment that largely founded Israel, because we have to remember that the original Zionists that founded Israel tended to consist of labor Zionists and other permutations of liberal Zionists, with the more they're they're pitting themselves against the ascendant religious Jews, which can comprise like Orthodox and ultra Orthodox Jews, 
and even Mizrahim, Middle Eastern Jews that tend to have a more Oriental or, uh, type of outlook on politics and religion. So you're, you are seeing this big clash. And within this clash, there is some internal intrigue among the security services where um, there, there are more – there were people both in the, uh, in the intelligence services like the Mossad and even the Israeli army that were – protesting the Netanyahu government and trying to like basically not fulfill their duties to protect the nation. And I think that this, um, even though this defection wasn't large, it may have been large enough to create some holes in the security. And I think this kind of intrigue too um, was used as a way to stick it to Netanyahu. I think that the theory going uh, there is a theory going around that the intelligence services have been wanting to get Netanyahu out of the picture for some time, and what way to do it by um, allowing this a Hamas disaster to take place? Because this looks like it's going to be a protracted conflict that I think Israel will probably win, but at a massive cost. It'll be a pirate victory, and um, I do believe that. This will um, call into question long term. I think Israel's viability um, as a functional nation state, as um, we draw closer to its centennial in 2048, because with the country becoming more ethno-religious, it's going to have a different stock of jewelry in charge of the country that's going to be much more authoritarian, not as intelligent as their liberal Ashkenazi predecessors and it's gonna it's the the country will have like <clears throat> just deteriorating forms of governance and just a total mismanagement of um public affairs due to this ascendant class that is much more likely to be authoritarian and have very little regard for basic norms of governance because um the, these these this new faction in Israel, it represents these settlers uh, that are constantly occupying Palestinian lands like the West Bank and those type of like behaviors that they essentially endorse and everything will lead to further clashes, especially clashes that are preventable and other forms of disturbances that I believe that when you sum it up, um, could lead to Israel's eventual state collapse. And I'd also add, too, that um, with this ascendant religious um, element in Israeli politics, you have a number of them, especially the settlers that um, the ultra-Orthodox that don't, um, that basically live off of the state, they are on the dole, and many of them don't serve, don't want to serve in the Israel Defense Forces. So you will have both an economic crisis and a potential security crisis with uh, Israel if those if they're if the ultra orthodox's numbers continue ballooning upwards. So yes, Israel may win this skirmish with Hamas right now, but in the long term, things are not looking so good in the country. Yeah, that's an interesting analysis, and the point you raised about this internal turmoil, um, which has really plagued Israel for I, I want to say close to a year now um these conflicts between like the more right-wing hardline zionists and ultra ultra orthodox jews represented by uh benjamin netanyahu and the various 
more far right factions that comprise his government and then the more liberal um, sort of left wing Israelis. And, and we, we see this sort of political dispute play out um, and, and spill over into America. You know, there's been protests. Yes. There's been protests in America among different factions of Jews in, you know, big cities like New York City and Los Angeles and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's been a lot of turmoil w- within Israel itself over the course of the past year or so. And the timing of this alleged um, Hamas, um, I don't even know what to call it, I guess, I guess an invade, like a, basically an invasion of Israel. Yeah. It's all very bizarre. It's all very um, – I, I just find it dumbfounding that um, Hamas would be able to launch such an attack on Israel considering how locked – you know, as you mentioned, you know how locked down Gaza is. I mean Gaza has been under like a blockade for a very, very long time. Not to mention the sprawling um, security state, police state that really is Israel and especially these occupied territories. How did they not know something was happening or something was brewing? How did all these weapons get to Hamas? I mean, they allegedly fired. I think they said I think the the mainstream reports are like 5000 rockets. Um, you know, the day that the, the alleged um, attack was launched. There's, I think really the big story, though, is th- this atroci- atrocity propaganda. I mean, there is just article after article, video after video, report after report of all these her- alleged, alleged, you know, horrific murders. And, you know, we're seeing claims of babies being beheaded. And that was really kind of the focus of the message from the editor that I wrote for this current issue. I mean, and, and this is a tale as old as time, right? I mean, wars are almost always based on lies. Certainly, you know, the past 100 years, you look at all the major conflicts of the 20th century, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Pretty much all of these wars have been based on total lies and atrocity propaganda. I mean, think about the outrageous lies uh, that we were told and that many people accepted about German soldiers bayoneting Belgian babies during World War One, not to mention all of the endless lies associated with World War Two and this alleged Jewish Holocaust that, you know, were endlessly told took place during this conflict. You know, there were claims, you know, in the aftermath of the war about, um, you know, these work camp inmates having their heads shrunken, their skin made into lampshades, their fat converted into bars of soap and other just truly fantastical and absurd stories that many people blindly accepted at the time. Um, You know, in more recent years, we've seen Saddam Hussein be accused of murdering babies in incubators. And, you know, that that was really what what kind of led up and and sort of um, paved the way for public acceptance of the of the wars in Iraq, the first one. And then, of course, the second one, we you know, all the lies about the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, Syrian president Bashar al-Assad was accused of gassing his own people. I mean, these are just total lies, essentially, that many in the, you know, many, many in the public accepted. And certainly, um, you know, the mass media blindly accepted and elevated and promoted and and sort of, uh, re you know, reinforced. Uh, through their coverage of these events, their their blind and uncritical coverage of these events. And now, I mean, I think that, you know, the the past year or so, I guess it's going on two years, is this, uh, you know, the demonization of of Russia and President Vladimir Putin. I mean, they've been accused of any number of war crimes and atrocities over the course of the past two years, uh, you know, during this conflict with Ukraine. They've been, you know, accused of deliberately targeting civilian centers and apartment blocks 
and theaters and things of this nature. So this is really nothing new. I mean, any conflict is, is bound to breed atrocity propaganda and outright lies. And that's certainly what we see on display in Israel. And, and, and I mean, this is sort of common knowledge, I'm sure, to most people listening. But just the way the conflict in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine is portrayed in America is so one-sided and so just pro-Israel, like Israel never did anything wrong. The Palestinians are barbaric terrorists. That's the way it's presented in virtually every single mass media outlet. Certainly, you know, the more Republican conservative leaning outlets like Fox News. I actually listen to Dan Bongino. I listen to his program pretty regularly just to kind of get, um, you know, get an insight into like mainstream conservative thinking. And he often does say a lot of really good things. But boy, he was just running with every single one of these atrocity tales and accusing Hamas of being barbarians and terrorists and, you know, they're they're beheading children and, and murdering and raping innocent Israelis, none of which is substantiated. Um, but if you look at the history of the conflict, I mean, I'm actually looking at an article over at IsraelPalestineNews.org, and it sort of breaks down like, you know, an honest assessment of this conflict that's been playing out over the court really since the creation of the state of Israel itself in 1948. But just since 2000 alone, there have been almost 11,000 Palestinians that have been killed by by Israel. Meanwhile, there have only been about 1,300 Israelis killed by Palestine. So, I mean, it's like almost 10 or 11 to 1, you know. And, of course, the Palestinians receiving the the brunt end of, of, of this sort of uh, barbaric treatment and, and, you know, just out being outright murdered. Not to mention, you know, Israel annexing and developing land that's ostensibly meant for Palestine, for a future state of Palestine, in addition to the way they're just treated overall, I mean, with all these checkpoints. I mean, it really is an, an apartheid state, and there's, you know, mainstream organizations that report on this and investigate this very thoroughly, and of course, they're accused of being anti-Semitic, of course, for simply reporting exactly what's going on in, you know, in this part of the world. So um, that's one thing I want to mention is just the way the conflict is portrayed historically and and certainly contemporarily in America is so one-sided. And that speaks speaks volumes about the nature of the media in this country. And of course, the the mass media in America and the wider Western world is almost exclusively controlled by Jews or by those that are sympathetic to Israel and international Zionism. And that is reflected, obviously, in the reporting that they do and in the narratives that they promote. So that's one thing. Um, there's a number of other stories that we could get into. I mean, for example, I'm looking at, um, well, first off, I should, I, this is another aspect that I wanted to bring up and get your take on. I think it was on Sunday, uh, the, the, the day after this alleged Hamas attack, the Wall Street Journal um, reported that actually Iran had backed Hamas and sort of like supported this, you know, Hamas attack against Israel, which the Iranians appear to be denying. I know that Hamas does have connections with like Hezbollah, which is a um, Islamic sort of militant type group based in Lebanon. Um, but I mean, to, to claim, and, and of course, this is very typical. They always try to get Iran involved. That way, you know, they can justify U.S. involvement in this conflict. I think that's exactly what they're pushing. Um, but Iran has denied this. And again, it's it's largely based on speculation and unnamed sources. 
So there's a couple different angles that we could talk about in relation to just all the lies, you know, that are being disseminated in a very sophisticated, coordinated, global atrocity propaganda campaign. That's something that's quite the sight to behold, you know, playing out in real time on social media. Yes, the Iran um, blame game is very typical because Iran has provided military aid and financial support to Hamas before, but it's really up in the air, honestly, like how involved Iran was in coordinating th these attacks. It's something that, like, is speculative. Like, these, uh, this Wall Street Journal report, I need to actually read it in full, but I automatically am going to cast out about it because the Wall Street Journal, better yet, the Wall Street General, right. is a very zionist publication that is always looking for a way to fight iran there's a very fanatic segment of the conservative movement that wants a war with iran and they're going to use I actually pretext possible yeah 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 sorry to interrupt you i was going to mention though i actually have a report here from the algaminer which is a jewish news outlet the head, this was published um, just on Monday. No, actually, sorry, on Tuesday this week. Iran's Supreme Leader celebrates Hamas attack, denies Iranian involvement. And it says here, Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei on Tuesday celebrated the Hamas terrorist assault on Israel that has killed more than 900 people while denying Iranian involvement. Quote, we kiss the foreheads and arms of the resourceful and intelligent designers of the operation and the Palestinian youth. But those who say that the recent great event is the work of non-Palestinians are making miscalculations, Khamenei said at a graduation ceremony for Iranian military cadets. I say that this is I say that this devastating earthquake has managed to destroy some of the main structures of the occupying regime's rule, which cannot be rebuilt so easily. And he went on to say that Israel itself was to blame for this attack, assuming we take it at face value, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, Israel has been doing nothing but oppressing and genociding the Palestinian people since its founding. And Khamenei says here, uh, just because the Palestinian Mujahideen, the resistance fighters, managed to get out of the siege of Gaza and reach the military and, and civilian centers of the Zionists, should the, should the Zionist regime be called innocent, he asked, whatever the occupying regime is, it is not innocent. It is cruel, aggressive, ignorant, and talking gibberish, but not innocent. No one can turn this hideous monster into an innocent face. And this is very much the perspective of pretty much everybody in the Middle East and even much of the world, except for the West, which is under total, basically, Zionist occupation itself. Yes. <clears throat> the... The thing is that um, Hamas, uh, funny enough, um, is in many respects was uh, Frankenstein's monster of the Israeli hard right. They tried to um, – the Israeli government did everything possible to pump Hamas up um, as opposed to the more secular nationalists of like the PLO and similar uh, Palestinian resistance organizations. But what's ended up happening is that Hamas has become like incredibly popular, not only in Israel, but also abroad. And it has attracted resources from the likes of external actors such as Qatar, 
and Iran. But here's the thing. Um, yeah, I, I also think that some context of what's been happening lately, there was that um, kerfuffle at the Al-Aqsa Mosque um, in Jerusalem, which is one of like the most um, important like religious buildings of like any of the Abrahamic religions, especially for like Muslims. And that um, some people argue was like the straw that broke the camel's back that prompted the um, <clears throat> prompted Hamas militants to launch this attack against Israel. Um, I think that these attacks are just so baked in the cake because you're dealing with um, you're dealing with like essentially an existential political struggle right now uh, that has an occupying force and a resistance force and. I just don't see how conflict is going to be contained in such circumstances, especially with an Israeli government that is becoming even more hard right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And especially with all of these very emotional um, and, and traumatizing narratives and testimony coming out about this alleged conflict, you know, 1,200 people murdered barbarically, you know, by Hamas allegedly. I mean, all this, again, is, is very much unsubstantiated yet it's taken at face value by pretty much every major american politician including robert f kennedy jr i don't know if you saw this discussion oh i saw that yeah yeah i mean robert f kennedy is really pushing the the discourse in, in a positive direction but he seems to just be a total committed zionist and and i mean like they all are basically i mean for, on the one hand we actually ran an article in this issue the current the current issue of the of the newspaper by dr kevin barrett um, highlighting his his comments about 9/11 recently. I mean, he was questioning the official narrative of 9/11. He was saying he didn't know exactly what happened, but he had questions about the official story. He even brought up Building Seven, which is, I mean, really a smoking gun for anybody looking at the events of 9/11, and you know, beginning to take a critical second look at the official story. I mean, how do you explain that? <laughs> you can't explain it unless you, you know become a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist and start questioning the entire event itself. But this was uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s response to this alleged attack by Hamas. And this is very typical with virtually every other major American politician. I saw Lindsey Graham on Fox News just yesterday basically saying that Israel should just wipe off Gaza from the face of the earth and really do whatever it deems necessary to deal with this attack. Joe Biden made a speech yesterday where he was making similar claims. I've got some quotes from that. Let me just read this though. This is Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s response. And again, this is supposed to be like an independent, sort of moderate, uh, progressive, anti-war type candidate. And this is what he's saying. He called the attack unprovoked and barbaric, um, and it must be met with worldwide condemnation and unequivocal support for the Jewish state's right to self-defense. Well, how about the Palestinians' right to self-defense? How about their right to self-determination? That's never even mentioned in any of this, you know, any, any of these discussions by these mainstream political figures. He goes on to say here, we must provide Israel with whatever it needs to defend itself now, as if we don't already. <laughs> I think we spend something like $110 million every single day on the aid that we give to Israel, not to mention the military assistance and these loans that we give to Israel that are later forgiven, they don't even end up paying them back most of the time. So it's just insane. I mean, he goes on to say that when he's president, he's going to make sure that our policy is unambiguous so that the enemies of Israel will think long and hard before attempting aggression of any kind. 
I mean, as if that's not already the case, no matter who's in the White House. I mean, the, the Jews and the Isra you know, Israel firsters, the neocons, have had a stranglehold over Washington, D.C. for decades at this point, for multiple generations at this point. So I saw this tweet, and I was extremely disappointed because he does say a lot of good things. But this is just outrageous. And I mean, again, this is very typical for virtually every single major American politician. Joe Biden made a speech the other day where he was accusing Hamas of being a terrorist organization whose stated purpose is to kill Jews. Give me a break. I mean, this sort of rhetoric is just off the charts, irresponsible, and, and of course, not even true. Um, he talked about how parents, Israeli parents, were being butchered because they were using their bodies to try to protect their children in some of these settlements around Gaza where Hamas allegedly infiltrated and, and sort of stormed the border. Um, he talked about the, all these reports of babies being killed, entire families being slain, young people massacred while attending a music festival to celebrate peace. I mean, this is insane. Talked, he also talked about women being raped, assaulted, and paraded as trophies. Again, the, none of this is verified. This is all basically, as I've been explaining, like atrocity propaganda as part of this broader international push to just totally demonize Hamas in the eyes of the global public and to, you know, essentially gin up support for this war and, and for, you know, support for Israel. Yes, facts have completely gone out the window here, and I just don't see um, really any rational form of analysis of what's going on with respect to um, the latest conflict in Israel. And I, I do I want to touch upon one point that you mentioned, John, that I think it's very valid. I do believe that the... <clears throat> The pro-Zionist coverage of these type of events is not as powerful as years before, and that's owing to like the rise of alternative media. Because you have tons of websites out here that are stepping up to offer different narratives to these events in real time, refuting a lot of the stuff that's coming out from the legacy media and their um, their toadies and the political class. And that's why I do believe that there is there is some hope for a kind of narrative shift on these issues. And there there is evidence that more and more Americans want to maintain a, a very much like neutral stance on the Israel-Palestinian conflict because it really does not interest um, – it's of no strategic interest for the U.S. And moreover, it's, it's basically a launch pad – for another potential geopolitical boondoggle but in conf potentially confronting Iran in this case, because that's the way I see it, that the Israel-Palestinian conflict is like that springboard that many neocons want to use to justify the U.S. getting into a military confrontation with Iran. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's very much been playing out from day one. I mean, we saw I, I mentioned the Wall Street Journal report that we were discussing where immediately they're like basically blaming Iran for sponsoring this and, and somehow being behind it themselves. So, yeah, that, that's always uh, sort of playing out in the background, the demonization of Iran. And that take that takes place both within Israel. I mean, Net, how many times has Netanyahu come to the U.N. or showed up at the U.S. you know, in the U.S. Capitol and addressed Congress 
and talked about how Iran is building a, a nuclear weapons program that's designed to target Israel and wipe it off the face of the map. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's definitely always been playing out. And your point about how there's more and more people being you know skeptical of these narratives, that's absolutely true. And social media has played a huge role in that. And again, that's kind of like the big point that I was really trying to make um, in, in one of the articles I wrote for this issue was that we are able to systematically debunk these ideas, these narratives in real time. I mean, there was an alleged massacre at this, I think it's Kafar Azah. It's like a kibbutz in Israel where all these kids were, these babies were allegedly beheaded. I mean, these, it's like absurd. Some of the claims that they're making, of course, there's no evidence. It's all just either testimony or allegations made by Israeli military officials. Um, but they're picked up and, and just disseminated uncritically by the mass media. And there's people left and right all over Twitter and other social media platforms just calling them out, like right to their face. Like, this is this is ridiculous. This isn't even plausible. I mean, give me a break. There's no you proof of this. You want to hear something more yeah. ridiculous? Um, there are the fanatic Russia gators and all those people. They're trying to link Russia to Hamas now. You're seeing this more on Twitter. These total like lunatic types. They're they're offering like this new take that like Hamas is like deadly, uh, uh surprisingly like deadly attack is the product of like increased cooperation with Russia. They're trying to like pin the blame on Russia too. So like you're seeing this really dangerous co coalescing of Iran hawks and Russia hawks here, which is pretty wild. But it's a sign. Of it doesn't. Time. I was gonna say that that definitely does not surprise me, considering how just hysterical and and just delusional these people are. It's it's insane. Um. And yeah, I I I could imagine, or I could I could foresee more of those sorts of talking points and narratives being disseminated by these total liars. So, um, yeah, you know what? We're going to learn much more about this conflict and, and sort of the, the origins of it. And there's – I certainly have a lot of questions. I'm very skeptical of the official narrative. Um, I try to be objective when it comes to the Middle East conflict. I mean I certainly am, am no fan or supporter of the Jewish state of Israel. I think it's a, a total abomination, and it's really only come into existence largely due to support from the West – and at the time, even the Soviet Union supported the establishment of Israel. So, I mean, without without America, without American aid and diplomatic support and military hardware and sophistication, and even the U.S. military itself. I mean, the U.S. military itself is basically like a private army of Israel, you know, with all these disastrous wars we've gotten involved in and, and initiated in the aftermath of 9-11, all of which benefited Israeli geopolitical interests in the region, nothing to do with American interests. Um, you know, I'm certainly no fan of Israel, but and, 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 you know, frankly, I think the Palestinians have a very legitimate and righteous cause, but I try to be neutral and I just don't see I don't see this as, you know, I don't see this ending well for Palestine, basically, assuming a lot of the reporting we're seeing out of the Middle East. I mean, from what I've seen, you know, Israel's already began bombing Gaza, I mean, which is. I don't even know how big it is. I think it's only like the size of like Washington, D.C. I think I saw it reported. It's not even a big area. And, you know, when there's that many people jam packed in a, in a tight little area, I think there's like a what, a, maybe a million people in Gaza. I don't even know, um, which is a lot of people for such a small area. 
there's bound to be countless civilian casualties and deaths. It's just a really tragic situation, all of which is only exacerbated and facilitated by U.S. foreign policy, which is really, in my mind, the big scandal. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. I may, I try to maintain neutrality in this conflict as well, but I have to like say like that we have to be speaking the truth here because we're not. It's not only U.S. tax dollars that are potentially on the line. We're also talking about young men and countless other people because any false narrative that's that the ruling class is able to get away with it's going to be the perfect pretext to get the u.s involved in the middle east again but this time in a bigger quagmire potential against iran and their hosts um and their many proxies in the region which i think will just be an unmitigated disaster um i i really do believe that it is up to like the populist right in the u.s to show that this is not a conflict that's in the u.s interest to get involved in and that we need to start questioning the Zionist lobby and exposing it for basically pursuing a foreign country's geopolitical agenda and using American resources to do so. Absolutely. Well, and that kind of that's that's a good segue into another topic I wanted to bring up. And it's a topic that you wrote about in this issue, and that is the ouster of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the potential for you know, America first type populace led by the Freedom Caucus and people like Matt Gates and some of these other more more or less America first type populace uh, to sort of capitalize and, and take advantage of the situation. Um, and and I, I, I haven't even I haven't looked, but I'd be curious to get like a, like Matt Gates's take on what's going on. I mean, I'd assume he's probably just as like a hardcore extreme Israel fanatic as the rest of them. Um, but I do think that this development, um, you know, ousting McCarthy was at least at the very least showing that there are certain Republicans that have a spine and are willing to stand up for what they believe in and hold these people accountable, hold a guy like McCarthy accountable, who is probably one of the biggest rhinos out there. Yes. Well, Gates, I do believe he is like a Zionist, but he is more tempered in the sense that he'll be one of these people that says that, Israel has a right to sort out its like uh, security affairs and yada, yada, yada. But I think that he has become more skeptical of sending military aid there. And he's definitely not an Iran hawk by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, well, that's that's party. good to know. Yeah, I was going to say he must be – he's very much a minority in the Republican Party then if that's the case. Oh, big time. Yeah, I mean the only people – in the Republican Party that will take that kind of stance. Um, well, actually, Andy Biggs um, took a pretty anti-Iran war stance as well in light of the um, recent Gaza conflict. And he uh, he was on Judge Andrew Politano's show. Like, he had a similar take. He says, like, this is something that Israel should sort out, but that we shouldn't really get involved with. And Thomas Massey, obviously, like you'd be counted on for, to be an interventionist. And I think Tommy Tuberville, surprisingly, he he had a similar take. And he even said that, like, getting involved in any conflict in the Middle East is just asking for trouble. Now, to go back to the McCarthy issue, McCarthy is a hardcore neocon Zionist. That guy is really anti-Iran to the max. I'd say he's one of, like, the worst 
types of hawks because he's always calling for confrontation against Russia, China, and Iran. He is a consummate um, creature of the swamp, a chamber of uh, commerce, Republican. And like I said in my article, like um, his presence as House Speaker is not going to be missed. But unfortunately, whatever replacements are on deck, I'm not sure they're going to be an upgrade per se. They could even be worse, but who knows? Yeah, actually, I was wondering, because I know there's been a lot of talk about Steve Scalise now, at least the past day or so, um, potentially being the, ne- the next speaker. I don't think that's been, been you know finalized or voted on or anything, but yeah, you're right. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you, you, you talked about some of the potential um, replacements for McCarthy, including Steve, Steve Scalise, who I mentioned. He's a Republican from Louisiana, but also, excuse me, uh, Jim Jordan from Ohio. Kevin, you mentioned Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma and Tom Emmer from Minnesota. Um, but these guys are all more or less um, like Tea Party types, like sort of, you know, not, not yeah. as, yeah, like not as like America first as certainly I think you or I would like to see, right? <laughs> yes, actually, um, with the latest squabbles that you saw, um, during the whole speaker nomination process earlier this year, up until the present, I tend to get more of the vibe that the current Republican leadership, especially the, these descendant Republicans, they're they, they're giving off more Tea Party energy as opposed to America First. There's some elements of the Tea Party that I kind of liked, but others not so much. And I'm of the opinion that the issues, the key issues for me, are consist of the America first foreign policy of non-interventionism, realism, restraint, and securing the border. We can talk about reducing the administrative state and even the central banking issue as well. But for me, the invade the world, invite the world paradigm that's dominated U.S. politics, that's the main thing I want to get uh, want to get rid of. And I think the America first movement is the movement that is equipped to do that. And the harsh reality is that America First still has a long ways to go to consolidate power in the in the Congress. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, that to me is th- those two issues. I mean, they're very much related, as you said, and invade the world and then invite them into your country. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely outrageous and <laughs> just, I mean, so nonsensical that you'd. It's it's amazing that this would even be like serious u.s foreign policy but here we are um and and that kind of ties into another story that actually mark anderson wrote about and that is how all these democrats are doing like an about face on their totally insane open borders sanctuary city sanctuary state type policies we've seen people like new york city mayor eric adams uh illinois governor jb pritzker um basically come out and say look you know Biden, we can't handle all these migrants that are being shipped all across the country. This is insane. We got to do something. We're spending all of our money, our state and local money, trying to house these people and provide resources and services for them. And it's just it's just insane. I mean, and you've you've written about the immigration issue for American Free Press previously, how there's all these uh these these various you know pull factors you know drawing these people to this country, whether it's our lax border policies, um or you know, the demand for cheap labor and restaurants and other, you know, sort of unskilled 
low-wage type industries. Um, really what needs to happen is the border needs to be secured. These people that are here illegally need to be deported immediately. And all of these economic migrants claiming – very dubiously claiming asylum need to be thrown out of the country. I mean this is outrageous. Sure, there's poor people all over the world. That doesn't mean they can all come to America. Oh, yes. It's curious to see how Democrats have responded to the latest uh, mass migration wave. I do believe the response is very much political in nature because they're just looking at the poll numbers and Democrats are are not looking so hot for 2024. So a good deal of Democrats may start to try to distance themselves from the Biden regime when it comes to immigration. And I just think that, like, the immigration levels have gotten so bad that it – um. Some members of the Democrats coalition are probably getting very angsty about it, uh, whether it's like Hispanics that um, are in working in the working class uh, sector type jobs. They don't want to compete with uh, scab migrants from like central uh, from other Hispanic um, and Spanish speaking countries throughout Central America or even like some members of the upper middle class who don't like the idea of living in crime infested neighborhoods. So they're going to um, – there's definitely going to be some factional squabbling um, with respect to immigration, but I really don't see many solutions being pursued by the – not only Democrats but also Republicans, to be honest, because – Yeah, I um, agree. Like at the end of the day, there needs to be a clear-cut agenda that takes on both legal and illegal immigration if we want to like have any semblance of a coherent nation left. And to be blunt, as I've noted in my articles, the current political class is simply not cutting it in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I – well, I think you make a very strong case, and that seems pretty obvious to me at this point. So um, yeah, it's 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 out of control. The Democrats and Republicans have both played key roles in allowing this to happen and encouraging and even facilitating this invasion of America. And it's absolutely scandalous. It's absolutely outrageous. And even and that's what's so disappointing with Trump is like he's not even really making this like his key signature issue like he did in 2015, 2016, which is really what sort of galvanized all the support for him because there really wasn't anybody saying these things. I mean this is what the American people want. We're sick of being invaded by the entire world, not only invaded by the entire world, but our military occupying and invading other countries around the world for no reason except for you know to, to please our Zionist masters in Israel basically. Yeah, there's, um, there's a clear detachment of the political elite in U.S. from the wants and desires of middle America. They serve the, – the, the ruling class serves a very narrow set of interest groups which Zionists comprise of, and th the policies they pursue just go completely against the national interests. And oftentimes they lead to deteriorating living standards and contribute to the uh, the – the country's growing political instability. So it's a lose-lose situation. And as I have noted it, um, across many outlets, there needs to be like a metaphorical regime change of sorts in DC for any of this, any meaningful change to ever occur, because we're just doing more of the same at this juncture. Right. Well, there's a couple of our, couple other articles I want to bring up before we wrap up here. And one, I thought this was 
an incredibly interesting development. I mean, I think it was literally all on the same day. There was like three high-profile examples of left-wing activists or journalists or politician. One of them was a politician, actually, a representative, Henry Henry Quaylar from Texas, being victimized basically by the very lax policies that they promote when it comes to dealing with hardened criminals on the streets of virtually every single major American city. Um, do you want to talk about this story? I thought this was a, a very interesting development, and you kind of put it, you kind of tied all three stories together very, very well into uh, you know good commentary on just how misguided and insane these people really are, how detached from reality these sorts of policies really are, and, and, and ultimately what happens when you let criminals you know roam the streets. Oh yes, the these um, whether it's like really radical activists, leftists, or a relatively centrist Democrat like Henry Cuellar uh, getting attacked by criminals in a prominent urban centers. The left, the cultural left, is starting to get a taste of its own medicine from the very policies that it has promoted. They're rearing their ugly heads, and now they're getting mugged by the realities of what it's like to live in a modern-day urban center. And, right. yeah, the... the 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 Cuellar incident I, I thought was interesting because one thing about Henry Cuellar that is um, some background info, he's actually a pretty centrist Democrat, like a blue dog Democrat that actually on immigration issues is not that bad. He sounded the alarms on the total collapse at the southern border, and there have been like several elements of the Democratic Party that have been trying to get him out. I'm not like insinuating like this criminal incident was like some type of thing devised by the political establishment, but it is curious that um, he experienced such a criminal act because most uh, DC politicians, they're generally pretty sheltered from that type of activity now. But I think that things are changing though because of how widespread crime is getting in a number of American cities that even the upper classes can't avoid it altogether. And in the case of the other people like Josh Kruger and um, Ryan Carson, two journalists slash activists that routinely bashed law enforcement and spewed a lot of uh, leftist um, vitriol, these two guys met um, very um, tragic deaths, uh, violent deaths, to boot um, at the hands of um, pretty nasty individuals. And the thing is that this is like the growing reality of your modern day American metropolis that no one is ultimately safe from the criminals. And it's the result of public policy. We, it's, this is not just some random occurrence. It's a result of policies ranging from lax on crime, criminal justice reforms to gun control that leaves people defenseless, that makes these areas very inhospitable. And it's really one of the primary drivers of the infamous white flight that we've seen transpired in the U.S. for the past, oh, I, at this point, more than 50 years. And it's only going to continue as these areas just grow more violent and <clears throat> and just squalid altogether. Right. Well, the interesting thing about 
Kruger, for example, this guy named Josh Kruger, who you wrote about, he was a Philadelphia-based journalist and activist. And there's numerous um, social media posts that he made uh, in the over the course of the past, you know, couple years or whatever, basically downplaying the reality of violent crime, particularly in Philadelphia. Um, you know, sort of justifying these sorts of policies, and next thing you know, he's the one being brutally murdered. And you know, I don't say that to gloat. It's just like these sorts of insane ideas, these very sort of pie in the sky type ideas just ultimately lead to this sort of chaos and ultimately, you know, potentially being murdered. <laughs> yeah, I um <clears throat> I uh, think that what is even crazier is that in the case of um Carson, his um his girlfriend basically watched him like get murdered in real time, like right in front of her eyes. And despite that she never even really cooperated with the police to give a description, a racial description of the suspect who was a, a black male. And um, some of like the Antifa types in that area in New York City were, were saying like, no, this this shows that how this incident shows that we need to be sending more resources to non-whites in these areas because of like um, historical injustices. And they doubled down on their anti-white rhetoric and uh, pro uh, non-white redistributionist plans, and it, it, there is like a level of like delusion that has completely engulfed the minds of these people. And there's also just like a really fanatic anti-white hate that has also consumed them as well. And I think that this is uh, par for the course for the contemporary left, which has moved away from class reductionist economic talk to more race-based grievance politics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're outright just anti-white these days, blaming everything on, on white supremacy. Um, and, and, and that's a topic we could get into here in just a moment. I wanted to mention, I, there's actually two pieces in this issue dealing with the Southern Poverty Law Center. I actually interviewed Sam Bushman just earlier this week, and you can find that over on AmericanFreePress.net. And the article that I wrote that's currently being published in the print edition the, in the print edition of the newspaper is also available online as well. I don't know if you saw that, but the SPLC is really launching this like major campaign against Bushman and Sheriff Richard Mack, who both of both Bushman and Sheriff Richard Mack are involved with the they're basically like the two main figures involved with the national um or sorry the constitutional sheriffs and peace officers association and i mean this is typical this is like exactly the how the SPLC operates they you know launch these hit pieces and and, and try to basically smear their political opponents um and there's a couple articles in this issue dealing with this topic that i thought were very timely considering the SPLC just published earlier this week this major hit piece on Bushman and Mac. I don't know if you caught that or if you had any comments on it. No, I never really um, caught that, but the SBLC has always been up to no good. Um, they have been in many respects leapfrog, but they ADL, but they're animated by that same spirit of just smearing anyone that dares to question the prevailing orthodoxies of political correctness and wokeism these days. Like if you dare to speak for immigration restriction or defend white Americans against the 
anti-white blood libel that the corporate media, the political class and academia disseminates, like you're going to end up on their watch list and be constantly harassed by them. And yeah, uh, yeah I expect absolutely. nothing less from such uh, decrepit and malevolent institutions. Yeah, well, I would encourage people to check out the interview with Bushman. Um, like I said, that was just published earlier this week, and the article itself is also available on the website. So you can listen to the podcast and actually read the article um, before it's even, you know, gonna gonna be printed in the print print edition. Um, and that sort of ties in to another topic. We've heard all this talk um, and speculation, uh, I- including from Elon Musk himself, about actually suing the Anti Defamation League. Um, for engaging in, in, in basically defamation of Elon Musk and X, the platform that he purchased a little over a year ago. Um, there was actually a guy uh, who just sued the ADL for $25 million in damages. Did you catch that story? No, I did not. Oh, wow. Yeah, this guy, he's with the uh, an organization called The Patriot Voice. Um, and it's like basically – I don't really – I didn't really know a whole lot about it until – coming across this story, but I thought it was very interesting. It's basically like this grassroots organization that puts together events, uh, you know, like patriotic events, pro-America type events. And apparently this gentleman that started this organization, his name is, um, I think it's Josh Sabell. No, sorry, it's John Sabal. Um, he's the founder of the organization, and he's the one that initiated this lawsuit against the anti- Anti-Defamation League which I found very, very encouraging. I mean, Elon Musk has threatened to do such a thing, but this guy actually followed through and did it, which is, uh, I, I don't know, maybe not, maybe not a first, but definitely uh, a step in the right direction to counteract these very malicious, anti-American, hostile groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center, like the Anti-Defamation League. But this guy, Sabal, is, is, is a pretty interesting character the more I learn about him. Apparently he's like kind of big into like the whole QAnon thing, which I'm very skeptical of. But yeah, apparently that's like sort of his thing, and, and a lot of these conferences that he organizes organizes are sort of like dealing with that you know that that sort of perspective about you know about QAnon. But for the ADL to slander this guy as an anti-Semite, um, very much baselessly. I mean, from the sounds of it, he is very much a supporter of Israel. And goes along with all these, you know, sort of Jewish narratives. So um, I thought it was an interesting development at the very least. Yeah, that this even goes to show for a lot of people on the right that even if you're going to take pro-Zionist positions and all that, that's not going to protect you from the cultural left's attacks. Right. Uh, They're still going to go after you, call you anti-Semitic, call you a racist, call you a white supremacist. Yep. Yep, the the ADL like is one of the most fanatic like pro-Zionist organizations out there. They still attack many members of the right. Like it's no one's business. Oh my gosh, of course, yeah. That's that's literally what their existence is centered around is smearing and slandering and eliminating <sighs> any anybody criticizing or noticing basic facts about Jews and organized Jewry and the power that pro-Jewish groups and pro-Israel groups play in America. That's 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 their existence in a nutshell. Yep. All right. Well, Jose, I think we about covered this issue. There's other stories that we could get to, but I think uh, that, that gives our listeners a, a pretty broad overview of some of the topics in this upcoming issue of American Free Press. 
Once again, I will encourage people to consider subscribing if they're not already. And I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. I appreciate it, man. Oh, no problem. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Very enlightening. Okay. Keep up the good work, and we'll, we'll do this again in the future. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks, man.